Upward family, you're looking good this morning. Glad to be out on this beautiful day. Wintertime finally caught up with us, all right? Let's all moan just a little bit. Winter's here. How many of you have ever been to a funeral? This is an abrupt change. How many of you have ever been to a funeral? How many have ever been to a viewing before the funeral? Uh, Those are horrible things. I hate those things. I don't like looking at people when they're dead. Uh, I don't enjoy that. I don't like the whole concept of it. It's necessary. Sometimes the family doesn't even want to do it, and they do it because it's what you're supposed to do. I've told families again and again, your loved one has died. You don't have to do all this stuff like everybody else does it. Do what's best for you. Amen. I'm preaching already. It's always uh, interesting to, to be at the viewing. There's always some dynamics going on. There's always, uh, typically, there's one person there who wants to prove they love the departed more than anyone else. <laughs> Y'all been there, haven't you? Let me tell you, I'm a pro. I've been in a ton of them. There's always the person who shows up awkwardly that nobody's seen for 25 years. And they're saying, well, I can't believe he's showing his face around here now. Or either they don't show up and everybody's like, I can't believe they didn't show up even to this. How many of you remember your very first experience, maybe as a child, going to one of those things? Can I see your hands? Keep them up for a minute. This is trauma all over the room. Look at your neighbor and pray for them now because they experienced trauma. The first time I ever went to one of these things was my family. They got saved when I was about six and got into church. And so we had a church family. And there was a precious older man in the church that died. And they took us to the uh, funeral viewing. And I was about six, maybe seven years old. And I remember it well. I walk in. And first of all, you're overwhelmed by the smell of funeral flowers, which I don't think smells so good myself. Uh, Uh, but you're overwhelmed by that flower smell, and then you see a big box, and as a six-year-old, you don't really know what's going on here. Is there actually a person in there? And then they have these lamps on either side. Anybody know what I'm talking about, the funeral home lamps? They're like those lamps. I don't know what you call them, but they're the lamps. And everybody's looking sad, and as a kid, you don't quite know how to act. And then your parents walk up to this box with you, and you don't want to go up there. Or maybe you do. I don't know. I didn't want to go up there. But anyway, parents walk up to the box, and I'm just big enough to see over the edge. So I'm looking over the edge, and I see old brother so-and-so who is now in a box. And my curiosity overcame me, and I just stared at him. I'm not telling his name because I don't want his family to get offended if they're watching this. I thought he moved. And I jumped back, and maybe I should have sounded the alarm and told everybody there, but I did not. That was my traumatic funeral experience. May I say that was my first traumatic funeral experience. I swore on that day, even as a six-year-old, I'm never coming to one of these things again. That did not work out so well for me, being a pastor. I went back to many of those things. I've had so many experiences I could tell stories all day long. My very first funeral, I ran out of gas on the way to the funeral home. Dead stopped in the middle of the road. A family member picked me up and drove me to the funeral. I actually made a wrong turn once in a funeral procession. That's hard to do. It's hard to mess up that bad. But I made a wrong turn in a procession and wound up at the wrong place. 
One time I was on my way to a graveside service, and this isn't so bad if you're just an observer, but if you're doing the service, this is really bad. I went to the wrong cemetery once, ready to preach the funeral outside, and no one was there. Thankfully, I had the cell number of a family member, and I called and said, where are you guys? They said, we're here waiting for you. Nothing is quite as humiliating as walking up to a graveside 15 minutes late. I've had some experiences with funerals. Our setting for the next four weeks in this series, From Death to Life, is going to be at an ancient eastern funerals. And the ancient eastern funerals were loud. They believed, and many still do believe in this day that we live in, that to express your grief, you need to be very loud. They were very loud, grieving public events. But the good thing about this funeral is that Jesus showed up in the middle of the grief. And if Jesus shows up at your funeral, good things can happen. In John chapter 11, Jesus showed up at the funeral of a really close friend named Lazarus. And he showed up in the middle of grief and chaos. In this series called From Death to Life, we're going to camp out and look at the story of Lazarus for four weeks. We're going to look at his death and we're going to look at the miracle of Jesus raising him from the dead. Now you might be thinking... What do I have to learn in the mighty modern year of 2022? What can I learn from an ancient funeral that happened over 2,000 years ago? Well, I want you to understand this story is important today for a whole lot of reasons. Number one, John gave seven signs in his gospel, in his biography of Jesus. He gave seven distinct signs of Jesus being the Messiah. And the raising of Lazarus from the dead is the big one. It is the seventh sign. It is the mountaintop experience where John screams out, this is the Messiah. Incidentally, the first sign of Jesus as Messiah in the book of John was when he turned water into wine. So at the first sign, he was at a wedding. At the seventh sign, he was at a funeral. He was there at celebrations of very... Well, a guy told me, I, I shared that, and he said, oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't even laugh. It's important because it's the seventh sign. It's important because it was a very public miracle you remember some of the miracles of Jesus. He told people that experienced the miracle and their families, don't tell anybody. It's not time to broadcast this. But when he raised Lazarus from the dead, the whole community was there. They saw what happened and they could immediately go and tell everybody about it. It was different. This miracle too, you say, well, Jesus raised other people from the dead and he certainly did. We have at least two recorded in Scripture. He raised the son of the widow of Nain. He also raised a little girl, Jairus' daughter. But this miracle was completely different from those two. The, the son who was raised and the daughter who was raised had just died. Lazarus had been put away in the grave for four days. Which leads to my favorite verse in the King James. When the sister of Lazarus said, Jesus... By now he stinketh. I love the King James because the word stinketh is in there. Lazarus already stanketh by this time. So it was a multiplied the power of this miracle. 
Another important thing about this miracle, and the reason it's powerful, is this miracle is what eventually caused the religious leaders to plot to kill Jesus. Doing this miracle is what put him on the cross. Because when they saw this power, they knew that from now on it was undeniable that this man was who he said he was. And the only thing they could do in their minds was to kill him. How do you think that worked out for them? Upward? How do you think that worked out for him? We read the end of it, and we know that he rose from the dead, the Messiah. Our Jesus could not be conquered. This miracle is also powerful because it was a symbol of hope for the early church. You can go tour the catacombs of Rome today. And the catacombs were an early burial site for many of the early Christians who first were a part of the church. They were persecuted. They were killed for their faith. And you can tour the catacombs. And on the walls of the catacombs, no less than 60 times, there are carvings and etchings and paintings of this very miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. I can just picture the early Christians burying their loved ones and making sure there was a painting there of Lazarus because this story was hope to the early church and it brings hope to us today that out of your deepest, darkest, most defeated moments that Jesus can speak a word and bring life where there's only death. It's also a powerful story of our own journey to transformation. See, Jesus is in the transformation business. He's not just cleaning up your life a little bit. He's changing who you are. He's not just getting you to come to church and put on different clothes and carry a Bible and stop cussing. He's about transforming you from the inside out. He's about putting a new heart inside of you. He's about making you a completely different person from who you were before. And that's the story of transformation. That's Lazarus' story, and that's our story. You know people still visit the grave of Lazarus today. We're going to show you a picture today of the modern tomb of Lazarus. And now uh, I had a picture that was even more modern than that. But that's the modern place that they think was Lazarus' tomb. And now today there's a sign on it that says Tomb of Lazarus. And I believe they sell tickets to go inside. We've come a long ways, haven't we? This story of transformation is our story. Vincent van Gogh painted a beautiful portrait of Jesus, of, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You know, artists did this often when they identified with the subject. Van Gogh painted his own face as Lazarus because Lazarus is you and me. You ever been in a dark place when all hope was gone? Come on, let's be real upward. Have you ever just been in a place when you just felt like it was all over? and things were not going to work out, that God was not going to answer your prayer. It just felt like done. We are Lazarus. Over the next four weeks, we're going to take several steps in the journey. Today, we're going to talk about hearing Jesus' voice in your darkest hour. Next week, we're going to see how God's delays actually free us from wrong thinking. We're going to see how God's delays are a part of our transformation process. 
The week after that, I haven't got a good title for this yet, but I'm thinking of calling it Stones and Stink. Because we're going to learn that we have a role to play in others' transformation, that we can help roll away stones that are blocking them from the life they need. But we're also going to learn that when you roll stones, you get a stink. And we're going to learn how some stinky things have to be uncovered so that the light can come upon them. Then the last week, we're going to call it Unwrapped. And we're going to say, even when Jesus gives you life, you can still be bound up by the grave clothes of the past. And we're going to talk about how Jesus and others help you unwrap the rotten grave clothes that now are holding back the life that's in you. Today, we're going to look at a voice in the darkness that is Jesus' voice in our darkest hour. John 11, 1 through 3. Let's stand up. Let's do something different. Stand up, will you? We're going to stand up and honor God's Word this morning. Can we do that? I want you to read this with me. You ready? A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now skip to verse 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now we're going to skip to verse 43. Then Jesus shouted. Stop just a minute. Then Jesus shouted. All right, you're getting it now. One more time. Don't get irritated with me. Then Jesus shouted. You're at your limit now. If I ask you to do it again, you get irritated. What did he shout? Amen. Oh, I, I got to hear that one more time, and then I'm going to let you sit down. Awesome. You can sit down now. I'll take over from here. You all right? I want to give you two things to think about today. Two things to think about today. And remember, number one, without Jesus, we are all spiritually dead. I want you to hear that. Without Jesus, we are spiritually dead. We often say without Jesus, we're lost. It's worse than that. We're dead. We say without Jesus, we're unconverted. It's worse than that. We're dead. I went to a church once, and I really love the positivity they have in this statement. They call people without Jesus pre-Christians. And I really love the positive view of, yes, they're coming to Jesus but we're not exactly pre-Christians. The news is worse than that. We are dead without Jesus. There is no life inside of us. We are spiritually dead. You remember way back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 2.17, God put Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you imagine what it would have been like to be Adam and Eve, fresh from the hand of God, with the life of God, being able to walk with God in the cool of the day in the garden, and fellowship with God in a beautiful place? God said, enjoy all this. You can pet the tigers. There is no poison ivy. The roses don't have thorns. All the food you see, you can eat. I figured you'd be more excited about that. 
All the fruit, all the beautiful things, the seeds, the fruits you see on the trees, you can eat all of them. But there's just one place I want you to stay away from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one tree. And in Genesis 2.17, he said, Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then Adam and Eve tasted the fruit. And I saw a, a post online. Somebody was asking this question sincerely, and it's a good question. They said, why didn't Adam and Eve drop dead when they ate the fruit? Some people think of this two ways. They think of when God said, you will surely die. He meant, if you eat the fruit, one day you will surely die. That's not what it means. They died when they sinned. Spiritually. Spiritual death is a whole lot worse than physical death. Physical death is nothing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have a thing to fear about your physical death. It's just a transition. Everybody else is going to cry. You're going to be having a wonderful time. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What's it going to be like to die? You're going to close your eyes and you're going to see Jesus. You're going to be having a party. You're going to see friends and loved ones that are gone before you. While everybody down here is crying, everybody in heaven is celebrating. And I believe that is a literal reality. Spiritual death is much worse. It's separation from God. It's the inability to do the right thing. It's to be absolutely vulnerable to the enemy who can come into your life and do whatever he wants to do to you. Because you are dead. Dead people can't help themselves. Dead people can't do the right thing. Did you understand this, friends? Please understand this. When you're out there leading someone to Jesus or trying to lead someone to Jesus, you can't talk them into being a Christian. Because becoming a Christian is not just a conversion in your mind. It's a coming to life in your spirit that only the Holy Spirit and Jesus can do in your heart. But without Him, you're dead inside. We don't appreciate the spirit world in our modern day. We, we have divided the natural and the spiritual. You'll hear people sometimes talk about the spiritual as if it's a, a new thing. Well, I just want y'all to know, I'm a very spiritual person. Everybody is, honey. In fact, everybody is a spirit. That's who you are. You're a spirit. When you go to that viewing and look at that person in a box, by the way, if you outlive me, that ain't happening with me. You better enjoy me now. <laughs> enjoy my good looks now. Because you ain't going to look down on me in a box. Because I won't be there. My spirit's going to be gone. When I die, I'm not lingering around. I'm going to be with Jesus. Because I'm a spirit. This old thing here is just the house I live in right now. You are a spirit. Do you understand that? To say you are spiritual is just to say what everybody already should know. You know, in our modern world today, we have a division between the natural and the supernatural that is a false division. You ever heard of the Enlightenment? 
You ever hear people say, well, now we live in the enlightened age. The enlightenment took place. It was a European, uh, primarily in the initial stages, way of thinking and a philosophy and a belief structure. And one of the things the enlightenment did was just cordon off the natural from the supernatural and essentially say everything we're going to believe and trust and put our hopes in has to be concrete, measurable, science, science, has to be reasoned. Everything we're going to believe in and trust in, it, we, we almost, it's almost, not everybody said this, but many, you've almost got to be able to touch it and taste it and put it through a scientific experience to base your faith on it. So they essentially tried to view things from a God's eye view without God. I don't know if I even understood that, but... Essentially, the enlightenment should be called the endarkenment. Because we essentially pushed God and the supernatural out of... Let me tell you something, my friends. You are a spiritual being, and there is a spiritual world, and try as you might, you will not get away from it. People say, I want to be in touch with the spirit world. I want to be in touch with the right side of it. And I want to keep the wrong side of it out of my life. Let me say this too. I'm going to go over time just a little bit. The good side and the bad side of the spiritual world are not even in competition. This is not like the force where the dark, the Star Wars, which I like, but it's not like the bad side of the force is overcoming the light. No, no. When Jesus died on the cross, he completely routed the dark side, and they're defeated, and it's absolutely over, and they have no authority in your life except what you open the door to and give them. It's, they're defeated. But I want to live in touch with the spiritual world, the kingdom of God. And I don't care if you believe in Jesus Christ or not, the spiritual world works in your life every single day. You want to become spiritually alive so you can experience a relationship with God. One of the reasons that abortion is so terrible is because every human being is a spirit created in the image of God. If you're listening or you're here and you've had an abortion, I'm not condemning or shaming you this morning. I want you to hear that with all of my heart. Jesus loves you and there is forgiveness and there is healing for that. All right? But please allow me for a minute to talk about how terrible that is. Every baby that is born is not the result of a biological process. They're not merely the result of biology. God breathes into them the breath of life. And there is a spirit in every one of them that is unique and created by God for a purpose. I rejoice in this. You may rejoice in this too. I hope you do. Our Henderson County Commissioners, I was at a meeting uh, this week. Uh, I prayed to uh, open up their uh, meeting, their first meeting of 2022. They invited me to come and pray, and I prayed for the commissioners. And I stayed for a little while to watch the uh, business that they go through. And they voiced in that meeting their complete support for the heartbeat bill during Sanctity of Human Life Month. Henderson County stood together and voiced support for the heartbeat bill. And they read this, and I want to read this to you because I just want to say, yay, commissioners, this is not political either. Life is not political. 
It's a moral issue. This is not Republican or Democrat. This is about the lives of the unborn. They said this, it's the position of the Henderson County Board of Commissioners that constitutional protection should be guaranteed to every living person, including the unborn, that are unable to express or defend themselves. And I think we need to give a hand of appreciation for our county commissioners standing up for life. Birth is more than a biological process. God creates a human spirit. Paul said this in Ephesians 2.1. He said, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, spiritual death comes upon us when we sin against God. When we're born, we're born spiritually dead because of Adam and Eve's decision. Years ago, I sat down with a young girl in my office, and she was just a teenager, and her mother had brought her to me to try to find some help. And she was cutting herself. And her mom made her show me her arms. And there were cuts on her arms and her hands and all over. She would just cut herself. And, and I just could not understand that. I, I could not understand why someone would want to do that. And you understand, self-harm is a spiritual thing. There's a spirit world out there driving people to these destructive behaviors. And I just asked the little girl, I said, sweetheart, I, obviously I want you to stop doing this, but can you explain to me why you do this? And she said, I just want to feel something. She was dead in her heart. She couldn't feel anything. I know people that go do crazy stuff so they can try to feel alive. You ever done anything crazy? Skydiving? Y'all told me once I never understand people who want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. But I heard people say bungee jumping, I'm out on that one too. Um, I do things that are good for my health. <laughs> but I heard people say I never felt so alive. I guess when you're scared to the point of death, maybe that makes you feel alive. I don't know. And I'm not condemning people who do these crazy things. <laughs> you okay, Julie? But I am saying this. Some people need those because they don't feel alive anywhere else. They need spiritual life. Lazarus was beyond the point of any human help. He was dead. I want you to remember this. Christianity is not about cleaning up your life. It's about coming to life. It's not about getting everything straightened out so you can come to church and look like everybody else. It's not about checking all the boxes of what you do and do not do. It's about inside coming to life. Two things I want you to remember today. Number one, without Jesus Christ, we're all spiritually dead. Second thing I want you to remember, true life begins when we hear the voice of Jesus. Jesus stood out of the, outside of the grave. He told him, roll away the stone. Then he stood outside the grave and he shouted. What did he shout? Lazarus, come out. Number one, and I'm moving quickly, he called him by name. 
He knew who he was. There's an old song, some of you may be old enough to remember, the worship song called, He Knows My Name. Anybody remember that song? He Knows My Name. Let me ask you this, what name does he know? What name does he call you by? I'll promise you this. He doesn't call you by the same name that your enemies do. He doesn't call you by the same name that your detractors do. He doesn't call you by the same name that your sin does. One of the big problems in our world today is we've connected sin with identity. The battle in our world today is an identity battle. People that are manipulating, oh goodness, I'm going to make somebody mad, but let's jump in. People that are manipulating us are participating today in identity politics. Trying to put us all in a group and say this group's against that group. Identity's a battleground today. Jesus knew Lazarus' name and he called him by name. You, You can think of some of the things that they've called you. God knows who you really are. I'm going to tell you this, God knows who you are better than you do. Because God knows what He's calling you to be, not just what you are. We're caught up in what we are right now. Anybody? Anybody right now? Fat. Who said that? <laughs> Security, note that lady right there. <laughs> I'm weak. Got problems. Got addictions. Got struggles. I've still got sin. I'm still trying to get out of the grave clothes. That's not who you are. He knows who you are. He said Lazarus. You know what the word name Lazarus means? The one who God helps. I love some things in this verse. I'm going over time. Forget it. I'm in the book of John this year. Instead of, I'm not reading through the Bible on a plan this year. I'm staying in the book of John all year long. And so um, you're going to hear me quoting John all of 2022. John chapter 11, when when uh, the sisters called to Jesus, they said, Jesus, the one you love is sick. That's awesome. Because they and Lazarus saw themselves as the person Jesus loves. Will you just quit seeing yourself like you do and start seeing yourself as the one Jesus loves? I saw a t-shirt one time, and at first I didn't know what to make of it. It said, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. (laughs) The older I get, Ryan, the more I'm inclined to get one of those shirts. Because I need to stop seeing myself as the guy who's failing and the guy that's struggling, the guy who's not living up to enough, the guy who's trying. And I just need to say, wait a minute, I'm the guy Jesus loves. John, when he wrote the book of John, he never said, hey, my name's John, nice to meet you. 
He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Some people think it's arrogant of John to say that. John was just stating how he viewed himself. You know what this tells me about Jesus? He said, I love you a lot. And the people close to him knew that he loved them. Could I just invite you today to start calling yourself by that name? I'm Andy, who Jesus loves. I, I'm so glad. I get a lot of my thing. I'm the luckiest man in the world or the most blessed man in the world because Alexa loves me. Everybody watching online, their devices just went off all over their house. Yes, what? Let's have some fun. Hey, Alexa. Sorry, online folks. You just got in trouble right there. No telling what's happening. Lights are turning on and off and everything in houses right now. My wife's name, Alexa. I'm the guy that Alexa Craver loves. That does everything for me. Even greater than that, as great as she is, I'm the guy that Jesus loves. If you could start hearing that. See, that's what you need to hear in your darkest hour. You need to hear your real name called out. Jesus said, Lazarus, the man who God helps, Come forth. He called his name. He knew him. Then he did something else. He called him out of darkness. Lazarus, come out of that. Jesus will always call you out of darkness into who you really are. I'm going to park here for a minute because somebody's life's about to change. The struggles you're having right now and the darkness you're flirting with now, that's not you. I'm going to say it again until I get a few more amens. Anybody have struggles? Anybody been in darkness? Any of you ever gone back to those dark places in a painful moment? I need to see some hands now. Anybody in this room that has ever gone back to a dark place that you should have known better? And have you ever even said that to yourself? You should know better. Keep those hands moving now. Come on, some of you need to stay awake with me. Can I say this to you? That dark place is not you. And it's not where you're going. So before you head back into that tomb again, remember, Jesus is calling you out of the dark and he's calling you to who you really are in him. And he wants to disconnect you from that darkness. So stop running back in there. How do you do that? You don't do that by saying, bad boy. Has anybody ever gotten free from anything by saying, bad boy, don't do that again. Shame on you. No. You know how you get out of that darkness? You realize that God is calling you to do, and more importantly that, to be somebody that He designed you to be from before you were ever born. And He's calling you out of something. 
Jesus doesn't just call us to something. To get to something, we need to come out of something. And some of us here today, we need to come out of some stuff. Amen? Let's just call it what it is. Sin. He has called us, Peter said, out of darkness into His glorious light. If there are things in your life that you know are wrong, any, anybody? Those hands still work? I'm going to ask you to be brave. How many of you are Christians and you still have some stuff in your life that you know got to go? Can I see your hands? Can you just hold? This has got to go. This doesn't belong in my life anymore. It's time for this to go. Stop slapping yourself on the hand and just say, that darkness is not who I am. Jesus is calling me out to be who he's truly called me to be. And who he's called you to be is incredible and beautiful and world-changing. Let go of that grave and listen for the voice today that's calling your name and saying, come forth. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me today, please? Heads bowed, eyes closed. How many in the building today would say, Pastor, I just want to say yes to Jesus today. I just want to say yes to to him as my Savior and my Lord. No shame, no embarrassment, nobody looking around. Can I see your hand right now? I'm saying yes to Jesus. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm saying yes to Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Now let's be really, really honest. How many would say, there's some darkness that I know is not who I'm really called to be, and I'm ready to come forth and walk out into Jesus' light and life. Can I see your hands this morning? A lot of hands, a lot of hands. All right. That's not you. That's not your future. And you're saying yes to Jesus' call to come out of it this morning. I want to pray a prayer right now, and I ask you to pray online. If you're watching with us, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with us as the church helps us. Lord Jesus, I hear your call. I hear your voice calling me out, out of the darkness out of the dark places I've tried to quit and as you know I failed but today I hear your voice calling me out by my real name and I come to you with my sin with my brokenness with the darkness and I lay it at your feet destroy its power over me. Amen. 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 Can we give praise to God? 2022 is a good year. Let me tell you what's happening. 2022 is a year of coming forth. Things that are hidden are going to come to light in 2022. Some of them are going to stink. But in it all, God is moving us forward in his life and in his plan. Amen. Amen. Would you Pastor Luke gave us a pow- didn't he give us a powerful message last week on being all in. And we're hearing Jesus voice call us out of the darkness. I'm going to speak this scripture over you. And I'm just telling you, I just feel God's power in this verse for us right now. This weekend, I've just felt God's power in this blessing. So I'd like for you to lift your hands 
to receive the blessing right out of the Word of God. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Be blessed with that today. Now I commission you to step out of this place in the power of the Holy Spirit and make Jesus known in powerful ways all over our community. This has been a church of purity. God's turning it into a place of power. You're going to go out of this place and manifest the power of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. See you next week. Love you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.